When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, so this podcast is looking back at the 2015 Rugby World Cup pool match between England and Wales. And if you can remember the game enough, then find Crack On and listen to our thoughts as we look back. If you want to watch the game first, you can do so by going to our Twitter channel, Rugby Podcast where we've got a link. Otherwise, just search for it in YouTube and there is a full match on there. Uh, so either hit pause now and go do that and come back or let's crack on. We're playing at home. We always back ourselves at home. Oof. Oh, Chris. Oh, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Who's in the laughing? Just a little baby. Someone's done a little video of the advert with loads of memes of people laughing, Zach Galifianakis in that movie, and babies laughing and stuff. Poor Chris Robshaw. Well, because, like, they had to come up, didn't they, the marketing team, with something which was inspiring, but also something which Chris Robshaw would say. And we always back ourselves at home. Is something kind of, you know, modest enough for him to say. He's not going to say, yeah, we always win at home. No, we always back ourselves at home. He's not going to say, oh, we're not, we're, not, we're not sure. We always go into games a bit, mm, I'm not sure if we're going to win. <laughs> Frankly, it's a toss-up. <laughs> <laughs> we take each week as it comes. <laughs> yeah, so on the face of it, I agree. On the face of it, you can imagine them sort of wargaming how this might go and thinking... Well, that can't backfire because that's just, you know, of course he's going to say that, but little did they know. In fact, I'm, I'm looking at you right now, JB. Is that Chris Robshaw's signed jersey that I can see behind you? It is Chris Robshaw's signed, signed jersey. From that World Cup. It's probably, the game he, it's probably the shirt he wore in that very game. He, he didn't want it. Well, no. It's, uh, it's probably my favourite piece, piece of, me- of memorabilia. That. And that was thanks, that was thanks to uh, our old friends, Can- Canterbury, when they used to be our friends. Um, <laughs> Because um, they took us to meet the whole England squad, which was pretty cool. And we met Chris, Chris, uh, Chris Robshaw. And I can always say, a, a lovely, lovely, oh, lovely... I mean, incredibly uh, he, lovely man. He couldn't have been more accommodating. And he had nothing but... Well, I mean, everyone was available. But the cue to see Chris Robshaw just before the World Cup, it, yeah, he, he had his hands full. No one's ever looked better at Wimbledon than Chris Robshaw did as well a few years ago. Um, yeah. I disagree with that. I would say that the two... Uh, who, was it, who was it? Jared Butler and, and Bradley Cooper looked very good. Yeah. But being third to those two is, isn't... You know, it's no shame, is it? 
And Roger Federer normally looks pretty dapper, but mm. you're, you're right. He's in pretty uh, illustrious company being compared yeah. to those chaps. Sartorially elegant man, an incredibly lovely human being. And he was a good England captain. This, though, will be... Uh, just a reg- he'll regret this for the rest of his of his life. He'll be so, but he should be rightly very, very proud of his rugby career. But this yeah. will be the one little thing that just bites away at him forever. It's all part of the story, though, isn't it? It's it's not success which impresses me about Chris Robshaw because he has been successful. It's the recovery from defeat and the the recovery after this actually. Which, which is a, a tale for um, the whole of England, not just Chris Robshaw, but the recovery from the low of this um, for the subsequent four years was, or three of the subsequent four years, ignoring downfall, um, was very impressive. And he, yeah. he was a key part of that as well. Yeah. So now we've discussed what a nice man Chris Robshaw is, let's revel in his misery. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's interesting when we look back on this game, it's all about England's failure not what actually you could also talk about which was a famous win for Wales and a a historic comeback for Wales Wales were 10 points down yeah Yeah. 10 minutes into the second half Hmm. well I think I think what made it so incredible was the hype around England I don't think I don't think England helped themselves or well I don't think it's England's fault actually I don't think the English media helped England because if you're really paying attention when those two teams walked out we should have known that it's going to be much, going to be much closer. We, you know, without doubt, you just see Sam Warburton. You see um, uh, the guy who people don't talk about now, but at the time, you absolutely, you absolutely should have. Dan Lydiot, to, uh, Toby Faletau, Jamie Wynn, Roberts, Jamie Roberts. The list goes on and on and on. George North was good then too. Yeah, back when George North was good, Liam Williams, Dan Bigger. Bigger. Yeah. Dan Bigger, Dan Bigger was brilliant. Oh my god! So Dan Bigger is the one I was thinking of, because everything is focused on Owen Farrell. Owen Farrell this, Owen Farrell that, and I have said it for some time. Dan Bigger is every bit as good as Owen Farrell. In fact, in some areas, not quite as you know big as physical. Say, in other areas, he's his equal and even his better. Is like his temperament, his skills, his kicking, you know, the things that you associate uh, Owen Farrell with those elements of his game. Actually, I think Dan Bigger is better than him. Well, both both the tens kick flawlessly in this game. Farrell yeah. kicked six from six, and Dan Bigger kicked eight from eight, uh, which which won them the game. Uh, that kicking because it wasn't it wasn't a try fest. There was one try from each team. Um, there was it was actually watching this back. I don't know what you two thought about it, but I thought it was a, a pretty awful game of rugby for for for, for two. Uh-huh. So it was it was exciting because of the pressure. But it wasn't, there was no, other than the, um, the kick through, the, the one Wales try, other than that, there was very little good rugby played. And I'd I, I, I put that down to two things. One, I hate blaming the referee, but I thought, um, I thought Garces had a bad game. Yeah. And he, was, he, he did two things wrong, which was, he was very inconsistent. He, he gave the same thing happen. He didn't give the same decision on multiple occasions. But also, yeah. he was too pernickety, particularly in the first half. He was blowing his whistle all the time, and it just stopped any any flow to the game, any sequences. So that that um, prevented it from being a, an amazing game. And the second thing was 
neither team played particularly well, and they both did. England in particular, actually, just didn't seem well set up for flowing rugby and, and good attacking rugby. I mean, England had they had a totally, totally dominant scrum. They had um, a, a lineup that worked better than Wales, although not not perfectly. They had good field position and territory. And when they got into those positions, they just ran out of ideas. And Wales yeah. did the same. And it, it ended up with, on a couple of occasions, Farrell and Bigger just having to either dink it into the corner or take a pot shot drop goal because both teams ran out of ideas. Yeah. So hmm. I, I disagree that it wasn't a good game of rugby. Well, hang on, hang on. If, hang you, if you were a South African or a New Zealander or an Aussie watching that or a Frenchman, you would, you would have, and you were watching it without the sort of butterflies in your tummy that we had. You, I agree with Phil on that sense. You wouldn't have thought that was a game for the ages. That was, what a brilliant game of rugby. You would have thought, oh, this is an exciting finish, but that's about play, it. Play it behind closed doors, remove the crowd noise, remove the allegiances, take off the kicks. I kind of agree with you, yeah, in that respect. It, it, there were some bits of, of, of it that were good. I thought England's defence was genuinely very, very good in... In, in, in the first half, the, the kicking's good. But you're right, it wasn't, excite, it wasn't an exciting game. Other than the last 10 minutes. Other, Which, than, other than the Wales comeback, the narrative on the Wales comeback, and then the implosion of England at the end, which we, we should get into a bit more detail a little bit later. Yeah, how, how much did it, on, on the selection, I, I'm trying to remember, did England change the, the selection combinations much from what was anticipated? Because I, I, I just, I kind of looked at this and thought they've... They've gone conservative because they're worried about Jamie Roberts. With, so the only controversial selection, I think, was, was um, Burgess. Everything else was pretty much as expected. And the problem with Burgess, it meant they pushed, they went conservative by pushing Brad Barrett to 13 rather yeah. than either. The other two centres, uh, who were both 13s in the squad, were Jonathan Joseph and Henry Slade. Yeah. Which would have... <laughs> allowed them to be a bit more attacking. And in no world do you not want Henry Slade or Jonathan Joseph on that field. Yeah. Well, this was Henry Slade who made his... Did He make, He only had a couple of... He only had like one test before the World Cup or something like that. A yeah, couple so of tests. Pro- but, but Jonathan Joseph was a, was a seasoned pro at that point. Yes. Yeah, yes. you've got to listen to context, right? So the way I look at it is this England team it wasn't complete. It, it came in incomplete. Uh, Stuart Lang has had a mixed record. People say, oh, yeah, look, he's won loads of games. But, you know, I, I don't think that the competition... How can I say? I, they, they didn't strike me as a finished product. And that emphasised itself when they went into training camp and they couldn't uh, have a finished 15, which is how, uh, which is how Burgess en- ended up there in the first place. One of the things Lancaster was kind of relying on is that by the time he got to the World Cup, there'd be enough caps in his team to hit some magical number. The average cap rate would be pretty high. And therefore, he would, in his mind, have a team which fits the idea of what a team looks like to win the World Cup with uh, all that experience. And I think he was chasing the wrong goal, and which is why he gave so much time to so many players that shouldn't necessarily be there. Because if you fast forward it six months, when we happened to be in New York uh, watching England-Wales, that England team is almost completely different. Well, it's not completely different, but there's people in there that, that, give, it, that, that give it X factor. I'd, I'd he, say the opposite is true. Like, actually, the, the number of players who were retained 
by Eddie Jones and formed the core of what got to a World Cup final was massive from this game. Well, so but, I think of the core being Mario and George, Mario and George Cruis, J, 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 Jamie George. Um, I counted, I think, four players were still in from that game to what you'd think of in England starting lineup now. So it's not a huge amount. The, the basis was there. I think I'd say eight. I've got eight from that team who would who would have been who would be in a, a starting twenty three for the World Cup this time around. You got eight. Eight, eight of the starting fifteen. Eight of the so, starting fifteen. Not even the squad. Marla, Cole, Laws, Billy, Ben Youngs, Owen Farrell, Johnny May, Anthony Watson. So in I I've got in the in the pack the guys who would start only. Laws, if you play in a World Cup tomorrow, Laws and Billy, and the back line is basically the two wingers and Owen Farrell. I, I, didn't, I didn't say tomorrow. I said were retained by Eddie Jones and taken forward. Oh, no, no. So I think actually, you know, it wouldn't be fair to say to Stuart Lancaster, um, uh, you know, your whole team got, uh, your, your whole team got binned. He did bring through a lot of guys. But, the, the, but, but it's, it's the opposite of, it, it would be the opposite of saying your whole team got binned. It, it would, it, you, actually, the truth was, Eddie Jones changed very, very little, if anything, from Stuart Lancaster's squad. So my point being, I, I don't really lay this at, uh, at his door in terms, of, uh, in terms of personnel, really. I think, oh, I do. I, 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 I absolutely do. Who, who should have been in the team that wasn't at this point? Luther Burrell. At that point, Luther Burrell would have, would have been much, much, uh, would have been a much better squad, a much better squad option. Um, Dylan Hartley. <laughs> I mean, Dylan Hartley, uh, he basically should have been, um, he should have been there. Uh, there were the conservative aspects to it as well. You've got to remember, that game, I think was was like Billy's, well, I, I don't think Billy was meant to start. The reason he did start is because is he had a good game against Fiji. To all intents and purposes, that should have been Ben Morgan. Um, so uh, in terms of the, the blame, um, I don't, I'm, I'm more with Tim in terms of Lancaster and the coaching team. I think the personnel was broadly right. I, I'd, I'd probably agree that maybe Burrell would have been better in the squad. Broad, I think it's broadly right. Definitely broadly but, right. I think I'd have had... Itoji in there earlier. I think I'd had Cruis in there earlier. I think I had a lot of lads in there earlier. I think it's very, it's a little bit too conservative. But but in terms of so moving on from the the actual squad selection, <clears throat> I think I think a huge amount of blame has got to go to the the England coaching setup for the way that the team played, and just the I said it before, the number of times they just totally run out of ideas, and not just run out of ideas, but they're position their shape in attack was awful the number of times where the ball came out the back of a rook ben young's picks up and he's got a two or three stationary forwards a couple of meters um, to the side or even directly behind the rook and you've got owen farrell with two centers totally totally flat and mm. the only he's, he's got two options he can pass to a totally stationary forward or he can pass to Owen Farrell with nothing on for Owen Farrell. So Owen Farrell has to take a pot shot or kick for the corner. And it's those structures that, that it just looks... And you kind of... I was in, in my mind replaying the, 
the England under Eddie Jones against New Zealand in the semi-final because that was, I think, their most complete performance. England has had some very yeah. good performances. That was their most complete. And it was, there, there was probably 10 players involved in both games. Um, but the way that they played was totally, totally fundamentally different. And that's the blame that I think does need to go on on this coaching setup. And on, on that sense, uh, and this is why I think JB and I, if, if you've been listening to podcasts for, for years, you'll, you'll understand why we have very different, different opinions on this. I actually think Stuart Lancaster shouldn't have got the job full time, but was, was such a refreshing change of direction from the awful, awful, um, set up that there was prior to him and he brought in so many young players and freshened it up so much that he got given the job when he shouldn't have been given the job he should have been congratulated for the brilliant job he did on a temporary basis and then you know groomed for a future role in some capacity or given a different role but to I have been given but when you get to a, a a crunch game against Wales in a world cup that is when you need experience of world cups and high level tournaments and that's when you need the, the the experience of coaching and man managing in the most pressurized of circumstances and he never had that and in that sense I feel really sorry for Stuart Lancaster because he's an incredibly talented man a fantastic coach who did a brilliant job when he came in but was given a job he should never have been given and that's and, not his fault and he yeah, did the yeah. he did and he did the best he was able to there are some weird things that went on you got to remember Stuart Lancaster was the guy who literally wrote the coaching book for England. You know, that's, that's how good he, good he is at coaching. He's a really good coach. He knows the technicalities of, 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 of rugby brilliantly. Um, the weird thing which happened was I heard from numerous sources, uh, well, in RFU circles, uh, this really strange... <laughs> I'm trying to work out how, how I say this now. That sounds like an idiot. So the thought was... The defence wasn't about systems and processes, but defence was about mindsets. Have I, have I told, 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 you this, told you this before? We, we've spoken a lot about uh, aggression, line speed, wolves. They're, they're basically the, the Northern yeah. Rugby League handbook for coaching defence. Yeah, so it's not... You know, so we were told, at, when I was at Broughton Park, um, by a coach who I think is brilliant because uh, who was in the RFU system. So I, it's it's not about systems and processes. It's about mindset and uh, and aggression. Defense is about it, it, defense is a mindset. So all the RFU coaches, one of the things that they were trying to do is standardize the language the language of rugby. And the best way to uh, kind of explain that is in NFL, you got lots of different offensive coordinators, but they all speak different verbiage. They all say different things for different you know, for, for the. They'll say different things for the same process. So England were literally using the same calls as half of North, half of Northwest Level Seven. I remember playing. Um, I remember playing in Carlisle, and they have the same defensive calls as England in this game. And I think it's incredibly naive. You can hear the England players shouting "fire, fire, fire," which means counterruck. Now, if Carlisle know that. Right, and I'm playing for Broughton Park against Carlisle. What are the chances that Wales know what England are calling? And therefore, why are they even bothering to dress it up as some sort of code word? Just shout counterruck, because we all know what fire means. But this is just a product of it not being a system, but a mindset. So fire was the mindset. Okay, 
And fire, to be fair, is easier to get across than saying counter rock, counter rock. <laughs> yeah, but we all know what it is. <laughs> There's been I've I've played against so many teams in the past, and I've been part of so many teams that have calls that after the second time of doing it, everyone knows what you're going to do. Like hot ball, <laughs> like, hot ball is a, gen- a general term that loads of teams use, which is like scr- that's just something the scrum half says when he's going, I-, "I want it away, so get out my way forwards." Hot ball, hot ball, as in I'm past. So you know what's happening. And we used to have one. I remember, uh, like, we used to play a team every year in uni, and it was rouge, just meant up and under. So it's oh, like really? rouge ball, rouge. Okay. So there's I a lot of stuff you can work out anyway. After the second time of going, yeah. But I, yes, I, re- I remember a team playing us against us who used the call taxi a lot, and taxi just meant pick and go. Okay. But like, once it, once we work out taxi, you just tell us pick and go. <laughs> well, what's the point in not in, you know in not saying it so anyway the point about Lancaster is I thought it was very naive I think to be at the very highest level you've got to be someone as cynical and as sinister and evil and plotting as Gatland and I, I doubt very much anyone has any idea what Gatland's teams are going to be calling or doing before they take to the field let alone what call our rugby club know I get that. I guess, I guess I just want to reiterate what I've said many times since 2015. Again, as I had to go over this game, is that the failure was of the England top brass because what they actually did is they shot down in flames someone who could have been so valuable to the England setup for years and years to come, and they just they just destroyed Stuart Lancaster and what he could have been to England in some capacity. And uh, yeah, yeah. And they wanted to keep him. I think the chief exec at the time, who I could not remember, I think he was, Stuart Lancaster was his guy. They wanted to keep him, which is why it took him so long to announce, yeah, he's finally going to go. But I agree with you, Tim. Like, there should have been a, almost like a board role for him. I mean, it's easy to say now, I was very critical of him at the time, but looking back at what he's achieved, maybe they should have bumped him up a level. But it just, doesn't it? You know, if you're an outside looking in, or you're an England rugby fan and you think this guy's just lost the bloody home world cup didn't even get out of the group stages and you're giving him a, you know, a positional rise I'm not sure if that's the thing but you know what can you do just just on the Lancaster and, and this is, I think reinforces the, the points that you're both making in terms of what got him to the world cup at this stage he always did enough so when he first came in in 2012 England had the shambles of the world cup in 2011 he came in, added some stability, did a decent job, got second place in the Six Nations. But then for the following three years, we had four consecutive second places in the Six Nations, which was always just enough to keep him in the job. But it was never yeah. good enough. It, it was, was always, ne- always yeah. competent. Yes, exactly. Always competent, but never good enough for what an England team should be, particularly going into a home world cup. I- wonder, don't you, if there's like a clash of culture there. So I, I always think of Owen Farrell as um, you know, obviously a very a, a professional, but he's a hard man. He's a harsh man too. And he's got that edge to him. I never felt like, like Lancaster did. It was weird that as soon as Lancaster went, Dylan Hartley, who was nowhere to be seen, became captain. I just, I wonder if that, you know, the, just the, 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 the extra niggle, the, the extra edge, he couldn't really bring out the players. Let's talk about the other. Let's talk about the other person that got a lot of stick in after this game. There was Stuart Lancaster and there was Sam Burgess. He played well, actually, in bits. So he had his first two minutes were not good. Uh, he not fumbled his first carry, 
Um, and then for some reason, um, Wales kicked through in the first few minutes and Sam Burgess was the one covering at 15 and he picked up in the 22 and put his boot on it, which I don't, I'm not sure if I ever saw Sam Burgess before or since do that. It was a horrible looking kick, although it was actually quite effective because he made touch on about the halfway line. But other than that, he carried pretty hard and carried pretty well. Defensively, he wasn't at fault. There were two, two mis- uh, defensive errors from the England team. One for Scott Williams' break uh, in the first half and one for the try. And neither of them were Sam Burgess's fault. One was uh, Owen Farrell on the first one and Brad Barrett totally misread the situation for the try. Yeah, which, I, I, you know, the criminal thing there, the reason he's at fault, well, no, no, he's not at fault, but the reason that um, he shouldn't have been there is because Brad Barrett does not mis- misread things at 12. You know, he does not. Well, Sam Burgess fact- didn't misread things at 12. No. But Stuart, like, fact- you, could, you could say Stuart Lancaster did nothing wrong picking Sam Burgess, but he, he should have either picked, as Phil said earlier, he should have either picked either pick, um, Barrett or pick Burgess, not both. Yes, yeah, I completely that completely. But I wonder if Barrett was the undroppable guy. He has to have him on the field because he's like the defensive leader. But then he also wants Burgess in and then moves him out. I think he should have gone with Barrett at twelve because Barrett not only is an amazing twelve in his own right defensively, he brings the best out of everyone else. And that allows you to have a bit more creativity either through Joseph or Slade, and to actually use the back three who were were so underutilized they just couldn't get they couldn't get them into the game at all England um Mike, Mike Brown had a brilliant game defensively and under the high ball but you you didn't see him Watson or Joseph having any space at all um offensively there were glimpses in this game of what Sam Burgess could have been as an international 12 there was there was one carry i seem to remember England had a really rubbish ball it just it it was an untidy at the back of a mall and a forward had to tidy up and just passed it out to Sam Burgess. And he, he just stepped off his right foot, uh, totally went past, I think, Jamie Roberts and it took another two men to take him down. And it was about 15 yards. And it was, it was, he was quick and massive he is and quick. had a really good step. There were glimpses in this game. And, and again, Wales didn't get a sausage through his channel. Yeah. No. Completely agree with all of that. Uh, he also made a very nice hit on George North. Yeah. yeah, that was lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, and one, on, on that point, um, so they, they misused him. And this is, this is one of the things I think is a, a structures problem in the way that England were attacking. So England had, in the second half, England have a line out on about the 22, Wales is 22, perfect attacking ball. They send um, Sam Burgess... First, first phase carry directly at um, the bigger channel, and Sam Burgess is more than twenty kgs heavier than Dan Bigger. He Bigger's a bloody good tackler and, and brings him down. But England have got perfect front football, rapid. It should have been either a backs move or forwards. They should have done something. The way that they played that the second phase off a prescribed play was uh, Chris Robshaw picks and goes from perfect like. You've bent the line with your most effective ball carry. You've got perfect, quick front foot ball, and you do that, and it just all of a sudden slows down, and you go into this turgid forward game that, that just lacks any ideas. It was, it was a stru- massive structures problem. The other thing as well, 
uh, just turning the attention to the, the other team that was there at the time. Yeah, Wales. we should mention Wales occasionally. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, the, I guess the point about them is they grew into this. So the first 20 minutes, the first 40 minutes was so dominant by, Wales, uh, by, by England that you think, Wales, Wales are getting absolutely bullied. The, then Wales go in the second half and they grow into it, they grow into it, but you think that they blow it when they have all of the injuries. Like they should have got the points. Mm. They, weren't a, um, they weren't able to. And now they've got injuries. Well, that's their time gone. That, that, you know, their heads must have sunk. But they don't. They just rise and they rise and they rise. It seems to be the more adversity this team faces, the stronger that they get. Yeah, just like when the regions are all going to be merged and fold. (laughs) When that's happening, Wales win Grand Slams. Remember, lads, we're miserable. Yeah. (laughs) And off they go. But like you say, England were 99 up. Should never lose from there with half an hour to go. You've got to back yourself at home there. Got to back yourself at home there. Actually, you know, England had a good back row, but Wales had an all-time great back row. Yeah, yeah, and, and with Tipperick coming off the bench as well. When yeah. things, when things break down are a bit more chaotic. I'm not. I'm not just. I'm not trying to go back over Burgess too much again. But just to say, uh, I, I looked at this game and went, Stuart Lancaster leaves Burgess on. England don't lose. England lose, mate. England lose. Because <laughs> uh, I don't think I don't think Burgess has any impact on uh, the replacement scrum half playing wing. And unless no, no, no. Burgess... didn't the didn't the ten points like, what Wales only started scoring points and clo- and clawing back that ten point gap when Burgess went off. It was it, it did coincide to the try was very shortly after Burgess goes off. And yeah. it was it it was a um Brad Barrett misread and shooting up out of the line that created a two-on-one outside him. With Brad Barrett at 12, by the way, JB, and he never makes a defensive lapse at 12. There you go. Maybe he does. Um, but maybe he's confused because he's, he's been playing 13 or... <laughs> well, no. 13 or... Brad Barrett is still at 13 then. Because... No, hold on. When, when Burgess goes off, he, move, he moves into 12, doesn't he? And uh, what's his name? Oh, no, because it's Ford. Ford. It's Ford. It's not, it wasn't oh, Joseph okay. coming on. You're right. It was Ford coming yes. on. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So yeah. let me just uh, rephrase, uh, just reemphasize what I said. He never makes a mistake. Yeah, he never makes a mistake at twelve. You're right. You're quite right. I, I, uh, I was thinking of Jonathan Joseph in my head for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Joseph missed, missing from the squad. I mean, look, one one scrum half is on the wing, happens to fly hack it, <laughs> and the other one picks it up and scores. It's a marvelous, marvelous bit bit of rugby because of all the adversity. And you got to remember, Wales are missing Reese Webb. Uh, they're missing Lee Halfpenny. Those two guys going down. It's like the world had ended. Because Jonathan, we, Jonathan Davis as well. Jonathan Davis! Jonathan Davis, gone. So three of, um, three of Wales' best backs by a country mile at that time. Obviously, no one realised how good Gareth Davis was. We certainly had no idea how good, Lee, um, how good Liam Williams was. Uh, and actually, comes to think about it, Jonathan Davis would have got into any team in the world then and probably still now. Let, let's talk about that try. It was... I, I, I hadn't realised that it began from such awful ball. George Ford, um, fum- uh, George Ford, George North fumbled the ball. And oh, I can't remember who came on number 23. Whoever was 23 for Wales. <laughs> just by the skin of their teeth, managed to keep the ball in field, dived on a loose ball, kept it in field. And then you were talking, Phil, about there was no ambition. Wales then went back about 30 metres in their, in their passing with the de- behind the decoy runners 
to get all the way to the very outside. Yeah, but I guess what they did is they they put themselves in a position where they only had they only had to be lucky once. They kept in the fight continually, and you know I think I think where Wales go wrong in this period of time is that they could never put teams to bed. You look at the Australia game where I think they got Australia down to thirteen men and they still can't score a bloody try. Like when they you know they can't win games conventionally. What they can do is they can squeeze points here and there and then get lucky. And that's all that they did. And that's what basically Gatlin's been doing with this team for years. Uh, yeah. And I'd say that they did a bit better than getting lucky. Uh, depending on, I guess it depends on how you look at it. But they, I, I think they deserved to be in the position that they were because, yeah. Because, yeah. Of, because of that staying in the fight. Um, bigger Dumb bit. Taking all his shots. I just, I just want to talk about Dan Bigger some more. What? Well, no, just, 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 just on the try, because I think it's really important, and it ties in with something Phil said a bunch of times, whereas England's selection was conservative, neither team was throwing any punches. The try for Wales, the pivotal moment, came when uh, Alan Wynne-Jones did the kind of pivot move, and then you had Gareth Ainscombe giving the ball to Dan Bigger, who then got the ball to... It wasn't, um, it wasn't Anscombe. This, oh, he this, was, this was pre-Anscombe. No, the, no, the try, the try, the, Anscombe was on the field, number 22, right? No, Priestland. Oh, Priestland. Okay, yeah. well, the po- well, point is it was like yeah. they, had, they had two fly-halves on the field, and yeah. what do you know, the ball gets to the outside effectively. Yeah, two people that can pass. Yeah. Well, Owen Williams isn't a bad passer of a ball, in fairness to him. Owen Williams. Owen Williams. Scott Williams. Scott Williams. No, no, but it's just, it's just, it's just interesting what Phil was saying. There was, there was very little ability or effort to get the ball to the outside, and just out by by luck rather than judgment, Wales found themselves in a position where they had these two playmakers on the field at the same time. Normally, it would have been one or the other, yeah. And that was one time where, with devastating effect, they got the ball to the outside with space and. An ability to finish, yeah, yeah, and that that was that was them, Wales, trying to play with some ambition and executing it brilliantly. I think Amazing try! I think they got lucky. They <laughs> they, they never planned for Reese Priestman to even be on the field. <laughs> There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Um. And then, so that then gets them to a point where it's 25 all. Then, so there's the penalty for the, the final 
um, or yeah, the penalty given for the final three points, which in my mind wasn't a penalty. Or if, if it was a penalty, it would have been the other way because uh, the tack was definitely didn't release. And then interestingly, two, not two minutes later, the same thing happens and Gar says does give a penalty the other way for the tacklers not releasing, which is, you've got to kind of shrug your shoulders around it, but it's just frustrating when there's such inconsistency around two amazing key decisions. Yeah. Did you see the Gar says knock on on Bigger? And Bigger's like, I did not knock, knock it on. What a piece of skill. Yeah, it was not a knock on. Yeah. Oh well, what can you do, eh? What a shame. What a uh, shame. And, but yeah, even even with that, England still had the chance to well either draw or win the game. And that's where well, the, the final three minutes. When when they decide to go to the corner, which is obviously the pivotal thing. I mean, I was looking at that and I get how I even wanted them to kick it, draw the game, and then you know, build from there. But they're at home. The crowd is going wild. You know, back to the back to the advert, we always back ourselves at home. I mean Look, if I'm in a pack of forwards and I've done what they have done to the Welsh scrum all all day long, I think I would go, go go for the corner. Not only that, you know, when you're playing, if you think you're good at you know uh, driving walls, you know you it's kind of it's, it's a macho thing. You you, you don't want to st- uh, you don't want to stand down. So I, I I still like the decision, even now, even though it went wrong. I still like the decision. So I'm, given I'm- all. I, I've eased on the decision at the time. I, I was, I was annoyed and angry and frustrated with it. I have more sympathy to making that decision. What I don't have sympathy with is the line out that they executed. What the front ball? The front ball and take it down, and the whole eight of the Wales pack just smash them into touch. It, that I mean, I'm I'm not a forward, but that just looks so. Obvious and telegraphed, and so easy to defend the way that Wales defended it. It yeah, just looked... in the commentary they said that was the first time they went to Robshaw, the first time, and it reminds me of another historical lineout. Um, w- would you like me to, in- to? Would you like me to inform you of what I'm thinking of? Uh, is it a sale game? Sale, sale, Bath six three. No, it's not. Far more important. Is oh my god! Sale, no. Um, it was uh, the third Lions test in 2001. And the British and Irish Lions are playing to win the series because they win the first series. So they won the first test, lost the second, se- second oh, test. Oh, Bucky's Bota nicks it at the front, does he? No, not, not, not Bucky's Bota because they're 2001. playing. 2001. 2001. But you are right. Someone steals it. Oh, no. It was, uh, what's his face? The Justin Harrison. Justin Harrison steals it. Uh, Martin Johnson. It, yeah. And you think, oh, damn it, why? And I think it's the same sort of thing. They just thought front ball, secure ball. We've not used it all um, uh, all game. It's a banker. And it was a banker, except for, I mean, when you're trying to drive a ball, you don't want, you don't want it in, in that position. Um, I was listening to, who was it? I think Nick Easton said, said this, actually, which is at Harlequins. They always try to throw to the middle for a drive. The reason being is because when you get your men in, you're balanced on both sides. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So you can get everyone in quick. Whereas at the front ball in that position, yeah, of course you can you can use it and it works. Lots of teams have used it and it works. So but I think better options. I do wonder if there was nervousness around Weber at that yeah. point because Weber had only just come on and he missed. Um, there was a, a, an easy throw that he threw over. I think it was Parlin 
uh, two minutes earlier. Now, I would say Rob Webber is a phenomenal thrower of a rookie ball. So I've got no issues with his lineup throwing, having watched him now for a few years as well. Um, but that could well be a thing. Well, I'm, I'm, I've got the line. I've got the line out here, Phil, and I'm kind of with you. At the time, I was livid they didn't kick the points, but that I, I do think that is forgivable. What what I didn't like about it, which I think I mentioned at the time, was that Chris Robshaw was the captain, and he look he was looking around for someone else to make the decision. It appeared to me, or at least make the decision by committee. And George Ford, to me, appeared to make the decision. So far as I could tell, he was very very vocal in it. Um, and there's no. Owen Farrell can't kick that. He, Owen Farrell was um, whatever it was, six from six or seven from seven up to that. It's six from six up to that point as well. Not a hard kick for him. Not for a man of his caliber. I mean, it is always a hard kick from in that high stakes. But Farrell, it's the kind of thing that you would back Owen Farrell at home to kick. At home, but you know, like I say, the crowd is absolutely going off its head now. Yeah, yeah, the crowd yeah. is really fired up. I- there's no way I would not back myself. If I'm in that position, the crowd are going, 80,000 people are going absolutely wild for you to put it in the corner. You put it in the corner. You'd feel invincible. Uh, the, the other context for this particular line-out was, ju- it was moments before England ballsed up uh, uh, another line-out. They went to the middle. They took the ball. It went off the top, but it was dropped by Ben Youngs or, some, or something like that. So Wigglesworth. Wigglesworth, yeah. He was fired at Wigglesworth and he knocked it on. Yeah. So I think all of these things, the noise, the noise you just talked about and the cacophony that you just talked about and everyone clamoring for it is exactly the same reason why a conservative call might come in. You've got an inexperienced coaching team that filters down into the players. You've actually got a lot of players that, are, as, as we've already established, would go on to reach a World Cup final four years later. So are relatively at the early stages of their career. All of these small things play a part and uh, yeah so I, I'm more comfortable with the decision to go for the corner but exactly like you Phil the execution was the, the unforgivable bit because it was absolutely atrocious albeit Luke Charteris does an absolutely awesome job at whilst in the air pushing them out a yard to give his team a, a really good target to go and yeah. smash which they the did Welsh, Welsh defensive work is superb yeah I mean it really is yeah, I, looking back at this, the thing which I really didn't appreciate at the time, because you've got to remember, I didn't actually see the try live because I thought Wales were in, were, were in for the loss. I drove home. I was watching it at, at the rugby club. I thought, forget this. I can't be bothered watching this and just getting uh, abuse and banter all night. Drove home. Got through my front door. Wales are winning. Shut my front door, got back in my car, went back to the rugby club. <laughs> I bet you were pretty, um, pretty magnanimous when you got back to the rugby club. Exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm a great winner. When, when I used to care. Yeah, it was... <laughs> what a night. Where were you watching the game, Tim? Can you remember? I, can't, I, I genuinely... I can't remember now. Can you not? I, no, I can't remember where I watched it. I just remember how I felt. I know, I, don't, I don't, don't remember. So I, I, was, I was in the Omani Desert um, in a, a camp... Well, these luxury tent year things that had a, a quite a high end restaurant and bar and everything on site, and we were what four four plus hours ahead. Um, so it was like the middle of the night when this was going on, and we were 
remember that, Phil. <laughs> well, I, I remember that. I don't actually remember that much of the game because we, we were drinking a reasonable amount, responsibly, but um, some good stuff. And I just remember being so upset. Like I, yeah. I was, I remember being so convinced we were we were going to win it, um, especially after the first half when we we were dominant. England were dominant, but not playing amazing stuff. And then it just un, unravelled and unwound. Uh, it was awful. Uh, oh well, I, yeah, I'm I'm very much over it now. But I, but you know, I know you're a you're a massive fan of his, as as we all are, but. Um... Dan Bigger was an absolute ice man on this. Yeah, on this what game. A, what a guy! Yeah, uh, and, and Gareth Gareth Davis's pickup. I mean, the, the try was brilliantly executed, anyway, but just that pickup alone. Yeah, it was, was unreal. Both those guys, I think, we'll look back at it and think they are they've been severely underrated. I mean, Bigger in particular never really had a look in at Lions level. Uh, you know, there's always seems to be a bigger guy guy than him. Whether it's Owen Farrell because he's the national captain or. Sexton, who's also a national captain, or the out, outrageous antics of Finn Russell. <laughs> Big enough, as mentioned, but he should do because he's bloody brilliant. And he, he was he was the man of the match in this game, and he was superb. And can, can I, I mention as well how great it was, the, the big arena I really miss? Uh, <laughs> can I just also point out that he wasn't even meant to be kicking. Halfpenny had won the job. Ah, so how come Halfpenny didn't play then? Was he in the... Uh, I have a feeling he got injured against. No, that was Webber got injured against Italy. I think they both got injured against Italy, and Webber's definitely out. And I think Halfpenny was a race against race against time. I think, but I can't remember. Let's have a look. Yeah, Halfpenny's not in the squad. Yeah, I think it's Italy that they both got injured. Yeah, it was. I mean, I'm sure it is. Do you want to hear uh, Chris Robshaw after the game? Quick yes, bit but... of his post-match chat. Yeah, go on then. What have you had to say to your team in there right now? You can't really say much. I think it's now about a response. It's about character. We um, could play pretty well in the first half, and unfortunately, our discipline cost us there. And, um, and credit to them, but yeah, obviously, the accused league is devastated in that change room. 10 point lead just after the break. How do you think you lost that game? Yeah, discipline. Um, just to switch off, allow the easy points to be kicked over, allow them to get back into the game. Um, so, yeah, like I said, we're extremely gutted in there. We've, uh, we've got a lot of people here down today. Um, we, we need a big response next week and uh, the following week to give ourselves a chance to, to keep on progressing. Stuart Lancaster said it was a big moment to decide to kick for the corner, not take the three points and the possible draw. What do you think? Do you regret that decision now? Well, I mean, we went for the win. We spoke to the kickers and, and spoke about the options. Uh, but we, we went for the win today. We were here at home and I wanted to, unfortunately, it, it didn't come off. Do you believe that you can still get out of this? Don't need to hear that, the answer to that question. Because, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, that, uh, and then I, I was there for the following week, the, the Australia um, game, which was terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Oh well. Boys, I'm going to have to go. I've got 1% left on my device. Cool. I think we've covered off this game anyway. We've, yeah. uh, I feel like I've exercised the demon. I'm glad I've rewatched it. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I thought I might never actually rewatch that game, but I'm glad, I'm glad I've done it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you for making me watch it. 
All right. Well, as JB's got to go because his battery's dying, we'll see. We'll update you on the homework uh, for next time. Uh, keep an eye on twitter.com slash rugby podcast. He's at JB Moore. I'm at Cocker. Phil is lurking. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 